foundational verse as we kick off. Now, I'm going to say this because I'm a big note taker. I think it's really, really, really important. That's three reallys. Really important. That's the fourth one. To take notes. To always stay growing. I found some Play-Doh at my house. Like, like I've got four kids. Uh, 12, 10, 4, and almost 2. And uh, so we got four kids. And then uh, about three weeks ago, my wife was like, hey, I've got an idea. And she began to tell me this idea. And uh, it's kind of like sometimes when you have four kids and you're a big family, sometimes you feel like you're drowning a little bit. And instead of a life preserver, people hand you a, a puppy. And so I, they, we had to, <laughs> they had to take on this puppy. And so our house is constant craziness. And so I found some rogue Play-Doh just laying on the floor. I'm like, whose Play-Doh is this? And it could have been any of the kids. And there's a specific cup that the Play-Doh goes back in. How many of y'all know about Play-Doh? Come on, some of y'all are like, how's this Bible? Hold on, I'm helping helping you. You got to put that Play-Doh back in that cup and seal it because Play-Doh isn't fun when it's no longer shapeable and moldable. We as Christians have to remain shapeable and moldable. None of us have arrived. We're all a work in progress. So I want to encourage you. Uh, uh, Harvard did a study, uh, Harvard Community College. <laughs> Not quite Harvard, but Harvard. <laughs> come on, y'all wake up. <laughs> Harvard did a study that said if you're a hearer only, you retain 5%. So literally, all you're going to hear is Vanessa wore clear seven-inch heels and didn't fall down. That's all you're going to walk away with. But if you take down notes in real time, it goes up to 35%. If you take down notes and go back and apply it, your retention rate goes up to 90 to 95%. If there's somebody next to you, say, never stop growing. Come on, let them know. So write this verse down, the reference, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, jumping all the way in. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. How many of y'all are grateful to be sons and daughters in a kingdom that cannot be shaken? When everything else around us could be shaken, it says it cannot be shaken. Let us then be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. I'm true. I'm telling you, you cannot convince me different. I'm fully convinced. Say fully convinced. I'm fully convinced that God is still healing today. I'm, I'm fully convinced that God is still doing miracles. Some of y'all, maybe you've heard my story before. Maybe you have no clue. Some of y'all are trying to Google me. You're like, we can't even find this guy. If I bother you, you can email me at kirk at kirkhenry.com, and I'll get back to you. That's not my name. Okay, I'm trying. I'm pulling out everything. So, um, but there was a season in my life where I treated the presence of God like a painkiller. There was a season in my life where I treated the presence of God like an ibuprofen to a headache. And the truth is, I realized that God wants to heal my entire life. I'm fully convinced because my dad was a drug addict and a hustler and a drug dealer, and he beat and cheat on my mom all the time. And so I was born, one of three kids, an accident. Mom sitting in the parking lot of an abortion clinic two different times, contemplating if I should be saved or not. My mom was hit by a drunk driver six months in, almost miscarried me fell down a flight of stairs a month after that and broke her low back, almost miscarried me. See, the enemy was gunning for me when I didn't have a voice. But now in my Nikes, come on somebody, I'm kicking the devil in the teeth every single day because I believe the kingdom of God is bigger than all of this. I'm grateful for a God who never ran out on my dad, never stopped chasing my mom. I'm grateful for a woman in, in, a, in a grocery store, well, y'all have them here, in a grocery store called Kroger, in Columbus, well, right outside Columbus, Ohio, a little city called Grove City, Ohio, lady that was 78 years old walked up to my mom in the cereal aisle. Now, we were broke as a joke. And this lady walked up to my mom and said, hey, 
I just wanted to tell you that there's a call of God on all of these kids' lives. And my mom's like, come on, get away from this crazy lady. We, we did, people like us didn't go to church. We were like a full-blown Jerry Springer episode. Like, we were messy. And the lady walks over and begins to prophesy and speak over my mom. Thank God for people that still talk about Jesus. And we're going to talk about that more today, about living life out of the overflow and talking about Jesus, telling your story, talking about who God is and who you are through him. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the local church because my dad shot up that one Sunday morning and then he walked into a little church one time. So we have a saying at Hope City that there are no throwaway services because people aren't throwaways. This isn't a dress rehearsal run through. Y'all are in this room for a purpose and a reason. This moment is significant. My dad showed up to this little church with no air conditioning. Like the sweat ring was on your back. Like the Baptist made fun of you. <laughs> like, and my dad heard a message on relationship, not religion. It's a waste of time. Heard a message about relationship with Jesus. The pastor said, God's not mad at you, but he's madly in love with you. My dad walked to the front of the room and began to throw all his change. He had so much change. I don't know if we were going to laundromat or Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know what was next, but there was so much change. Like buffalo nickels, just all kinds of weird change. He's throwing it all down. And my dad, who I'd never seen cry, only angry, only full of rage, only full of addiction and struggle, began to cry out to God, can you save me? So I don't have enough money to pay for this. I'm really messed up. And the pastor said, David, you can pick up all the money. This gift's been paid for in full by a man named Jesus. And he will completely set you free and deliver you. He said, you can pick up all your money and put in the offering letter. He didn't say that. <laughs> My dad radically got changed. I'm talking about went from clean Throughout all his cigarettes, stopped drinking. And now 33 years later, my dad's never sipped another sip of alcohol. He's been faithful to my mama. Addiction and struggle stopped. But I'm passionate because I never should have made it. See, you can't judge someone's passion until you know their past. And we're really good about that in our humanity of judging people based upon the chapter of their life we walked in on. When the truth is, we're supposed to be the ones that look like Jesus. So I'm fully convinced. Say fully convinced. My, uh, my little girl, uh, Finley, just turned 10, and uh, she, I call her the heat because she she's a firecracker. Like, like she's girly, but she can fight. <laughs> she's awesome. And so um, there's this story of a girl about my, my daughter's age who went to this church like Anchor Ben where, side note, like kids ministry here, they teach biblical principles. It's not just sing-along songs and veggie tale hour like your kids are going to learn the Bible. And then in here you're going to learn the Bible and then you can drive home and talk about the Bible. It's a biblical foundational church. And this church that this little girl that I'm talking about was going to this uh, amazing church and they started talking in the kids ministry about Jonah and the whale. They were like, did you know that Jonah got swallowed up by a whale. And this little girl's like, what? This is amazing. So she hears all the story about Jonah and the whale and she gets in the car later and she's talking to her mom about it. And mom's like, I know that story. She's like, mom, this is incredible. Well, Monday she goes back to school. It's a public school. And the teacher said, today we're going to talk about whales. And she's like, what? Two days in a row? Like I am God's favorite. Like this is phenomenal. And the teacher said, did you know that a whale's esophagus is so small? It would be difficult for them to swallow a human being. And she's like, what? She's looking at her friends like, this is a lie. <laughs> so bam, hand went up, Q&A time. The teacher said, yeah, yeah. And she goes, what about Jonah and the whale? She's like, Jonah and the whale. She's like, Jonah and the whale. And she's like, Jonah and the whale. She's like, Jonah and the whale. And she's like, well, we can do this all day. Like, <laughs> little girl goes, Jonah, 
Okay, God said, go to Nineveh. He said, I'm not going to Nineveh. He went the opposite of Nineveh. He was completely disobedient. So God sent the whale or the big fish to swallow him up. He sat in the belly of the whale for three days and played on his iPhone. That's where her theology was a little off. And she's like, Jonah and the whale. And the teacher said, honey, where did you hear this story? She's like, the Bible. The teacher said, well, you can't believe fictitious books. Next question. And other kids are asking, like, do whales wear pants? Like, just crazy questions. And this little girl is fully convinced. Say fully convinced. She's fully convinced. So it came time to the end. She lifted her hand again. Teacher said, you've already asked a question. She said, this isn't a question. It's a comment. Teacher said, go ahead. She said, one day when I get to heaven, I'm going to walk right up to Jonah. I'm going to shake his hand. We're going to do a little handshake. And I'm going to say, what was it like to be in the belly of the whale for three days? And the teacher said, okay. Why? Because she was fully convinced. Teacher said, well, okay, okay. So you're going to walk up to Jonah and ask him what it was like to be in the belly of a whale for three days in heaven. She said, yes, ma'am. She goes, well, what if Jonah didn't go to heaven? What if Jonah went to the other place? What if Jonah went to hell? Then what are you gonna do? She goes, oh, well, then you'll ask him. All right. Y'all, come on, we can have, this is, we can say fully convinced. I'm fully convinced that when you allow the kingdom culture of God's presence and his spirit to get inside of you, it will ultimately over flow out of you. When you recognize who you are and whose you are, you'll truly receive and release. That's the key. Receive and release kingdom culture. Say receive and release. It's one of my favorite verses, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 in the message translation. I love this verse. It says, but you are the ones chosen by God. Say, that's me. Come on, listen, this is, this is everybody. You're chosen by God. Chosen for the high calling of priestly work. Now, Paul's instantly we're like, well, I'm never going to hold a mic. I could never do what the worship team did. No, no, no. You have people's lives attached, attached to your destiny. See, there's a call, purpose, and assignment on your life. Number one, you just need to simply get in the way of people's storms and point them back to Jesus. But priestly work does not mean full-time ministry, but it does mean marketplace ministry. It does mean your everyday Life, it goes on and says, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him. To tell others the night and day difference he made for you. I love this part right here. From nothing to something. Woo! From rejected to accepted. How many of y'all went from nothing to something? From rejected to accepted when you found Jesus. Come on. You've been chosen by God. You've been marked by God. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, everything, whatever you do, whatever you say, you do it as this. I, I literally live this out every day. You do it as a representative of Jesus. Y'all, that's when you're at the gas pump. That's when you're tipping bad at a restaurant. Come on, somebody. Come on, that's when you're, you're and now listen, I know everybody backslides for about 20 minutes every day when they drive in Houston traffic. Like, People that were like, bless you. Then they give you the Houston thumbs up with the wrong finger. You're like, didn't you, you have a Jesus fish on your car? Like, but everything you do and say, it says that you're supposed to do it as a representative of Jesus. See, if I go to AT&T and I begin to ask them about Verizon phone plans, they're going to be like, hey, hey man, my name's Tommy. It says AT&T. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. So can you just help me out? And you all have that two for one phone with the Verizon plan? Be like, bro, I'm... My name is Tommy. Got the A-T and the T right here on my tag. Well, why would he be so passionate about that? Because he's a representative of AT&T. 
See, when you give your life to the Lord and you receive kingdom culture and you express kingdom culture, it's not you who lives any longer. It's Christ who lives in you and through you. So Nehemiah 8.10 becomes your story that the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not your joy. It's the joy from God to you and through you that becomes your strength. Say, I'm a representative. Come on, you represent Jesus. Everything you do and say, you do it as unto the Lord. There was a study done. Now listen, I know some of y'all are like, he sure is fired up. Like, there's a difference between a speaker and a preacher. Like these are speakers on the side stage. This right here, this is a speaker. But I'm a preacher, so I need y'all to yell, that's good, white boy. I mean, just anything. Like, <laughs> come on, are those lady pants? Like, whatever. Like, just, I just, I need some feeling in the room. Come on. There was a study that was done. A secular poll studied Christianity for 10 years. And they said for 10 solid years, there's been a decline. It's never rebounded. It's never had a flicker that's popped back up. They said for 10 years, there's two areas that they have been knowing, they've been watching trending downward. The first one is passion. They say that Christians are no longer passionate. They're no longer hungry. That they pray and read the Bible when they're in a crisis. We've treated prayer like the glass box on the wall that says break in case of emergency instead of leaning into his presence every day because it's about relationship. The second one they said is in decline is compassion. They said that people no longer see each other. See, I'm fully convinced that when I get in the way of someone's storm and point them to Jesus, they could be healed. I'm fully convinced that when I tell people my story, it might just shift something in the narrative of their life. They say that passion is in decline, that people read their Bible, average of 12 minutes a month because we've gotten real supplemental we like 59 seconds of fire devotionals and I think those are awesome and I take supplements you don't get a shiny beard like this without taking b's and c's and d's y'all but I can't live on supplements I have to live on food supplements are great but you got to get in the word you got to get hungry and passionate and fired up because again what fills spills when you're squeezed in life what comes out of you is what's hidden inside of you and fear tolerated is faith contaminated. So if you're filled up with the presence of God and the doctor says you're dealing with this, your faith comes alive. But if you're not filled up with the word of God, fear begins to creep up. They say that passion's in decline. They say that compassion, that people no longer see other people. We're gonna unpack that a little bit more. I read this story. It was set in the World War II day. Are we okay? Is everybody awake? Are we good? Said in World War II days, I'm not like a war enthusiast or war buff, but I was really fascinated by this story. There's this young man who got drafted and sent off to fight in the war. And while he was in the middle of battle, he ended up getting hurt really bad. And they took him to this triage and they took him to these three tents. And instantly the doctors examined him and they took and put him in a very specific tent. He didn't know what the tent meant. But they tied a red ribbon around his boot. He didn't know what it meant. Everybody in this specific tent had a red ribbon, so he assumed everybody in the red ribbon tent, we're all together in this. We all have this red, red, red ribbon. There's a girl from Indiana who was sent in the war to that same area as a nurse to treat uh, wounded soldiers, and she was floating in and out while she got assigned to the red tent. While she was walking around and making her rounds, she stopped by and began to talk to this young man who was in and out of consciousness. And over a period of three days, she began to get to know him a little bit more found out that they were similar in age, said, where are you from? He said, I'm from, I'm from Indiana. She said, what are you talking about? I'm from Indiana. 
they started comparing the little towns they lived in. They had mutual friends. Their high schools were football rivals. She was like, how did we never meet until this moment? But what he didn't know and what she didn't know was the red tent meant they couldn't do anything else for them. So she knew at any point he was going to die. She knew at any point he would not get the medical care he needed because he was deemed hopeless. The tent next to the red ribbon tent was the blue tent. All looked white, but inside they would tie a blue ribbon around the soldier's feet. On the fourth day, other soldiers had been dying around him. He was still alive. She reached in her jacket and pulled out a blue ribbon, said, don't tell anybody I'm doing this. Untied a red ribbon, tied a blue one. Blue meant hope. It meant he may not be out of the woods, but we may be able to save this soldier so later on that day, as they were making the rounds, the doctor said, we made a mistake. Why is he in here? Why is he in the red tent? We need to move him to blue. The soldier needs surgery fast. After a while, two weeks went by and recovery began to happen. She got assigned to the green tent. Green meant you're going to make it. <laughs> you're going to get through it. She swapped out the blue ribbon, which meant hope, for the green one which meant you're going to get through it. See, he didn't know that one act of compassion took him from hopeless to hope to you're going to make it. And I don't know who's in here today, but I believe God wants to swap out a red ribbon and he wants to tell you that there's hope today and everything in your life can change. Now, this is the coolest part. Absolute true story. I normally have a picture I can throw up. After the war had ended, those two reunited in Indiana he had a few long-term disability things that he was still working through. But both those two, in the middle of all of those messy moments, they ended up falling in love. They ended up being married for 52 years, had six kids and about 16 grandkids. One act of compassion changed in someone's entire story. What does God want to do through your life? Look at the person next to you and say, he wants to use your life. Come on. We hear this phrase a lot that we're called to be, wave at me if you've heard this, the hands and feet of Jesus. How many of y'all have ever heard that before? Okay, only religious people. No, I'm, no, seriously, we've heard it. You're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You're like, okay, does that mean I have to give, like, I have to give money away? Like, what does that mean? Like, I gotta walk around with a cross? Like, what does that mean? Hands and feet of Jesus actually derives from a phrase in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, for we are members of his body. Take, take a minute to think about that. We're all members of one body. That's why I love multicultural, multi-generational. Look around this room. This is a church that looks like heaven. If this was a room just full of all white people, I'd be really upset. Because most white people don't have rhythm. I'm white chocolate, so I get, so I have both, amen. No, but the truth is, God has a church. The expression of his image is this. It's beautiful. And we're all members of that body. Jesus loved, so he exuded compassion. To be the hands and feet of Jesus, like I said a moment ago, is simply getting in the way of someone's storm and pointing them back to the one that can set them free. Romans 2 verse 4 says, it's the goodness and love of God that will draw a man's heart to a place of freedom. The Bible says in John 13, verse 35, this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples. Why? Because you love one another. That little nurse, what, what I didn't say earlier and what the guy didn't know in the moment, was she was raised in a little church, 
little small little rural Baptist church, and she knew what the compassion and the love of Jesus was. She loved Mother Teresa. She loved missions and the compassion of Jesus for people, and her act of compassion completely changed his life. Here's the truth. We have to get our yes out of the way, though. We have to get our yes out of the way because God is not a forcer. He's a filler. If we'll make room, he'll fill every single time. And I believe that God will set you up to be in a position to maybe be the answer to someone's prayer that they've been praying. Think about that. What if you could get in the way of someone's storm and they've been praying for an answer? They've been praying for a breakthrough. That lady who stopped my mom in the grocery store, my mom didn't even realize what she needed. And this lady stopped over, invited my mom to a little church. Six weeks later, my mom was sick and tired of being sick and tired and showed up to that church and everything began to change in our lives. Christianity isn't some secret club. This whole thing isn't about just showing up and singing songs and being like, no, this is our thing. I mean, we need to tell everybody. How many of y'all know some messy people? Come on, wave at me. How many of y'all are messy? Just lift up both hands. Come on. The best place to be is in the house of God. But God has called us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. One of my favorite verses in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, we're talking about kingdom culture. We're going to talk about living life out of the overflow. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16 says, you are the salt of the earth. Say, I'm salty. Come on, just love. Now, that does not mean sassy. Like some of y'all are like, my mother-in-law, she's really mean. Now, we're not talking about, no, no, salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light or a lamp under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that you may see good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Let me break this down just for a minute. I know y'all got super distracted by this. Hold on. It's a magic trick. Get ready. <laughs> I'm just playing. To be salt. What Jesus is talking about, because sometimes these parables, when Jesus speaks them, I'm sure the disciples were like, I'm trying to track with you, Jesus, but what does this mean, salt of there? How many of y'all, like, you've read this before, and you're like, I just salt it. Okay, and if it loses its salt, it, what is this? Because Jesus, sometimes these parables were like, Peter, listen, if a hen and a half laid an egg and a half, in an hour and a half, how long would it take a monkey with a wooden leg to kick the seeds out of a dill pickle? They're like, I don't know, Jesus. That sounds like a riddle. <laughs> I don't know. The real pastor will be back next week. Uh, it doesn't get any better than this. Okay, so at least this week. But what Jesus was talking about with being salty is salt is distinctive. So if you're at a restaurant and you're like, hey, hey, pass the salt. I don't know who made this dish because I love this dish. But I don't know who made this, but it needs some salt. It's the same though if there's too much salt. She's like, I need to send this back. Somebody got a little heavy handed with the salt. Why? Because salt is distinctive. Jesus is saying in this verse, you have never been called to blend in. You were never called to just blend in with the crowd. Your life is supposed to stand out. Kingdom culture is to live out of the overflow, but it's to stand out. Now, you don't have to wear a shirt that says spirit instead of Sprite. People are like, I can tell that he's a Christian. Look at his shirt. It says, need prayer? Ask me how. Look at his shirt. I know he's a Christian. He pulled in only listening to casting crowns. Like, he's only watched Fireproof and left behind. No, but to stand out is to be distinctive. That when you walk into a room, the atmosphere changes. 
When you walk into a room, somebody would say, I don't know why, but I feel peace around you because your life is supposed to look distinctive. So the Lord showed me something, and this is where the illustration comes into play. The Lord showed me something a few years ago. And again, I'm not hyper-spiritualizing this. I'm not going to be like, and then a cloud entered my room and swept me up like the days of Elijah. Like, that's not me. But the Lord showed me something. It was like a vision. That's the only way I can describe it. And God said, I need you to spend time with me every day. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, seek first. Another translation says, as your priority. It says, seek above all else. That means before your phone begins to ring, ding, bing, ping, all that stuff, you got to get in his presence first. I can't be the father, the husband, switch that, the husband, the father, the leader that I need to be if I'm constantly just trying to survive life on my own. So God showed me, he said, every day, and he showed me this cup like this, and he showed me this saucer like this, and he said, every day when you spend time in my presence, I'm going to fill you up and I'm going to fill. But here's the problem. A lot of times we stop and we try to live our life on half. See, your gifting can get you so far, but it's the anointing that will keep you. See, see, when you live half, you'll have joy in flickering moments. You'll have flickering, fleeting moments of peace. But God's saying, listen, I want you to spend time with me and I'll fill you up with courage, with boldness, with peace, with fight with perseverance, with joy. Now, I'm a dad, so when it's about to overflow, I said, God, it's about to overflow, and this is what the Lord began to show me. He said, what's on the plate is what I want you to live your life out of. Because the overflow is where the miracles are. The overflow is where healing is in your hands. The overflow is when you walk into a room and everything begins to shift. The residue on the side of the cups, yeah, that's your witness. That's how people know that you're set apart. That's how people know that your life is distinctive. And what's in the cup, that's for you. That's everything you need when you need it. That's clarity. That's your dreams. Come on, somebody. That's that peace you need. That's everything you need, determination. But then God comes and says, listen, but I told you in John 10, 10, that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But my, I come to give you life and life more abundantly. So I'm just going to keep pouring out. There's, it'll never run out. I'll just keep pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. And then the naysayer and the skeptic says, but look, you've reached, you've reached your potential. There's nowhere else for you to go. And God says, but listen, I'm going to keep showing up and just keep on pouring out and pouring out. All you have to do is just make room. Come on, somebody say, make room. Just keep on making room. Just keep on making room. Kingdom culture is living out of the overflow. Look at the person next to you and say overflow. I'm going to give you three quick ways for the kingdom of God to overflow in your life. Write this down. Number one, it's not about you. It's all about him. Number one, I think it'll be on the screens. It's not about you. It's all about him. John chapter three, verse 30 says, he must become greater and greater and I must become less. The faster you realize that God will never give you a life where he's not necessary, the further you'll go. The faster you realize that you can't do this life in your own strength. Every time that I need something fixed or healed or restored in my life is when I've gotten in the way. Come on, somebody. Where's all my control freaks and the fixers at? But like, where are we going? They tell you and be like, okay, cool. Let me have the keys. I'll drive. You're like, it's my car. And I'm like, but I'm going to drive. Toss me the keys. The faster you realize that he has to become greater and you have to become less, the more you'll realize you can live out of the overflow. 
and you'll begin to unlock, I believe, brand new strength in your life. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says it this way, but those who wait, look for, expect, and hope in him, watch this, will gain new strength. How many of y'all are fired up about new strength? Come on, how many of y'all need new strength? Come on, this isn't recycled or refurbished. It's not from yesterday. You don't have to borrow it from tomorrow. God's given you enough new strength to live out of the overflow today. And then it goes on and says, and renew their power. The word renew literally means to reset, to restart, to revive, to begin again. Listen, how many of y'all, when we got in the 21, you were excited for a do-over. Come on, you were excited about a reset, new strength, renewed power. And at the end of this verse, it says, they'll run and not become weary. They'll walk and not grow tired. So number one, three ways living out of the overflow. It's not about you. It's all about him. Number two, you have to recognize that your story matters. Your story matters. Revelation 12, 11 says, the blood of the lamb is the word of your testimony. I tell my story to everybody. If somebody will listen, I'll tell, listen, my dad was struggling with addiction and brokenness and cheating on my mom. I'll tell every, because I want people to know if he did it for me, he can do it for you. And maybe your story is absolutely wild. Maybe you found a dead body in a Motel 6 pool. Maybe like you've got like a crazy story. Or maybe you're the opposite and you're like, I've only lived squeaky clean. I've never even sworn with these lips. Like, I don't know what your story is, but here's the truth. Your story matters. And your story may be the only Jesus that someone sees. When you get in the way of their storm, statistically, they say that people will read your life more than they'll read the Bible. But maybe you're in the room, maybe you're watching online, you say, but you don't understand, Pastor Daniel, the struggles, the stuff I've done. You don't understand, I was up in the club last night. Like, you don't understand, Pastor Daniel, what I've been doing. Here's the truth. God uses what the world would consider disqualified. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He's looking for repentance and a turning away. So you might've lived messy yesterday and you showed up to church today and he's a God that will wipe your slate clean. Come on somebody and fill you back up again to live a life of kingdom culture. Again, God uses what the world would consider disqualified. Abraham, watch this, was too old. Elijah, these are heroes in the Bible that we would say were people that we would look into their stories and be inspired by. Elijah was broken and suicidal. Joseph was beaten, abused. Job went bankrupt and had money struggles. Moses had speech problems and insecurities. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. The Samaritan woman had struggles with men. Noah was a drunk. Jeremiah was too young. Jacob was a cheater. Peter denied Christ three times. Martha worried about everything. Zacchaeus was money hungry. And Paul persecuted Christians before becoming one. Don't tell me God can't show up, restore and heal your life and your family. And put your feet back on solid ground so that you can continue to live out of the overflow. The last one, number three, I believe we have to to live our lives out of this place, to really live our lives out of this place where miracles are and freedom is and breakthrough is and deliverance is, to really live out of the overflow. I believe number three, we have to look, start looking from a different angle. I know it's kind of an obscure point. You're like, okay, let me write that down. God showed me something going into this year in Luke 4.18, it talks about the Spirit of the Lord coming upon us and anointing us to proclaim good news to people. It's very difficult to get in the way of people's storms when you're caught in the me, myself, and I trap. Because it's hard to see you when all I see is me. It's hard to see her when all I see is my insecurities. It's hard to see God say, hey, sow into the building campaign and anchor bend when I said, but I got to hold on to all my stuff. 
It's hard to get involved and be a part of a dream team or connect in a small group when all I'm consumed by is my stuff. It's hard to see past these issues. And I believe God wants us to start looking from a different angle where I say, I see him and I see him. I can, I can help that family. I can sow into that person. I can get in the way of her storm. I can show up and tell him that God loves him. I can show up and tell that person in the back that God's not mad at them and that addiction is only for a season, that God's gonna show up and restore. When we look past ourselves and we start looking from a different angle, I'm telling you, compassion comes alive, overflow becomes a reality, and kingdom culture isn't just something we hear about, it's something that we live. Yeah. 